0: I think many of us actually have work addictions and don't label them that way, Um, but I knew I needed to go somewhere that I would be able to be free of all other distractions, and so my I'm very fortunate my family has a ranch out in the mountains of Idaho. And it is a hundred acres of land the Lewis and Clark trail runs behind it. So it's all protected around it. There's no TV, there's no internet, there's no cell reception and it's just the beauty and medicine of nature and the mountains and the sky and the smells and the sounds and all those things. And so when I first started, I went out there by myself for 10 days.
1: Welcome to the With Sayada podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Belonging and Understanding. The podcast that brings to you stories of lived experience that you might not otherwise encounter. This is a podcast that encourages you to cultivate belonging and understand others. I'm your host, author and coach Sayada Zaidi, and every episode, I'll be asking a new guest to share their story. Mary Beth Heinland is founder and chief visionary of Spark Vision and best-selling author of Permission to Be Human. Mary Beth knows that extraordinary success is rooted in the vision, values, and culture crafted by purpose-driven leaders and their tribe. With over twelve years of experience built on knowledge, she's known for her ability to create movements across generations. And Mary Beth does that with the understanding that we all have a deep desire to know and return to our most authentic selves at work, home, and within. She is a certified mediator, mindfulness trainer, and values expert, and engages audiences and teams all over the world with her authentic style of facilitation, coaching, and empowerment. I have Mary Beth Heinland with me as our guest and you know Mary Beth for me is just a real gift not just in the work that she does but also the way that she um, absorbs information, kind of processes it and shares it back with you and the work that you do on values, I think has given me a lot to to reflect on because I'm a very kind of like, you know, very values oriented person, I try and do a lot of research in the arena there. But just looking at your perspective, and even, you know, at the moment, we're recording this podcast, but we're also doing it by video. And so I see your values in the background. And I think this really, really powerful. So welcome, Mary Beth.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a gift to to hear those words from you and what a gift to be with you and your listeners today.
1: Thank you. And so I think I'd like to begin just by, you know, these statements that are on the wall behind you, you know, authenticity, um, transparency, accountability, inner harmony, vulnerability, and empathy. Just kind of give me a potted history of how you came about to have those words is the thing that represent yourself?
0: Oh, I've never had someone ask me that question. That's such an awesome question. Thank you for, for wanting to know. Um, because the work that I do now is helping individuals and organizations to uncover their authentic values and then learn how to create a life that's in alignment with those values. So for an individual, that's a sense of purpose, aliveness, energy for a company that's having a thriving healthy culture. And so I have a specific process now on how to do that but that's not where I started, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know this, you you go through a lot of iterations before you get to the ultimate uh place of of what the system and the process looks like. But when I first started and these six values that um, for anybody who's watching uh, that are behind me right now, they came from going on a series of solo retreats. So when I first started my business, it was just me. It was about six years ago now in September. And I knew that I would easily get caught up again in my patterns from before. So one of the reasons that I knew it was time for me to go in in my work prior to starting my business was because I was diagnosed with a work addiction and I was being treated and I was being treated for three years before I ultimately left and started to realize there were other options. And it wasn't the company's fault or anything like that. It was very much my inner dialogue in my mind telling me that I wasn't good enough I wasn't doing enough I wasn't successful enough basically I wasn't blank enough Mm -hmm. was my story whatever you want to put in the blank there is was my message that triggered me into work addiction because I thought oh well the only way that I can be enough is if I keep doing 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 and so when I started my business, I was recovering from that process. I'm I'm still recovering. I will always be in recovery from it. I think many of us actually have work addictions and don't label them that way. Um, But I knew I needed to go somewhere that I would be able to be free of all other distractions. And so my, I'm very fortunate. My family has a ranch out in the mountains of Idaho. And it is hundred acres of land the Lewis and Clark trail runs behind it. So it's all protected around it. There's no TV, there's no internet, there's no cell reception, and it's just the beauty and medicine of nature and mountains and the sky and the smells and the sounds and all those things. And so when I first started, I went out there by myself for 10 days And during that time, I spent deep, deep, deep time in reflection. I did not take phone calls or anything like that. I really was alone. And that was the first time in my life I ever did that.
1: Wow!
0: I didn't know it was possible to enjoy that. Um, Before this year, I used to consider myself an extrovert. Now I know that I'm an introvert that wears extroverts clothes. I'm very familiar, very clear on that at this point. But I just came alive in a way that I didn't know was possible for me. And it was because I wasn't scrolling on social media. I wasn't checking my email. I wasn't reading the latest articles. I wasn't responding to some requests. Rather, I was pausing and going within. And so I made these lists of what did I want to take with me from my past and what did I want to leave behind? Mm. And in that process, I started to uncover not values per se, but experiences. And so after I got those experiences written down, like for example, what did I want to leave behind? Feeling the need to check my email 12 hours a day.
1: Mm.
0: Don't, don't need that, right? And so what do I want to take with me? Is having a sense of ease and grace, right, in the way that I exist, mm-hmm. and so that's where the value of inner harmony was born.
1: Nice through
0: this process of really looking at what do I want and what do I not want, because I I actually believe that you need to experience what you don't want until you can really
1: understand what you want. Mm-hmm. Can I just pick up something on the on the word harmony? Because I interviewed Nadine Benjamin recently, who's an operatic singer, a soprano in the UK. And we were just unpacking something about harmony because I was speaking about balance. He says, no, 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 I prefer the word harmony. And then we have this conversation about how when you listen to an orchestra, if one instrument is off, you can hear it and it impacts the whole harmony. And I just think as you're speaking about inner harmony, you know, when, when tiny little piece of us or of our life is just not kind of like where we want it to be. It actually does impact every other aspect, doesn't it?
0: Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of people like to think that we have these boundaries like, okay, well that happened at work, so I'm not going to take that home with me. Or that happened at home, so I'm not going to take that to work with me or whatever, right? Into my neighborhood, into my communities, into my places of um, religion. And so it's that's just not how we are, mm-hmm. right? Some people are really great at compartmentalizing, but that's not actually healthy for your well being in the long run, right? That is not going to create a sense of inner harmony. And so that idea of this flow, this balance, this ability was what rang true. I used to the 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 values have changed over time, but inner harmony was one that felt like the most accurate description because it's not about okay balance, right? Balancing out. It's whatever you're doing. Do you have peace inside of you?
1: Mm and and it's funny just kind of like unpacking the 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 balance aspect a little bit more like if you're talking about balance and you've got huge amounts of challenge on one side then you go to the other extreme on the other in order to create that balance which is why actually you know i'm now a real advocate for the word harmony and inner harmony i just think it's just so beautiful i really do
0: Yay, I'm glad. We we need more advocates for harmony and inner harmony. So I love that you are on the train here because I know that it's becoming more common in our language where it was not. It was considered a, you know, fluffy thing that doesn't really have its place here. Sure, you can use it when it's talking about music because that has a technical term versus a feeling, an experience, an energy, an essence.
1: Mm, mm. And the other thing I heard kind of goes a little bit back right to the beginning when you were speaking about these values and then you said, these values are behind me. And I think there's something really interesting in that, in that they're not literally just kind of like behind you on the screen, but they're also behind you, kind of like supporting you. They're the things that have got your back.
0: You're so, so good. It's true. You're right. They're behind me. They're beside me. They're in front of me, but having them, the backing, right? Like having them as my backbone is so critical to making choices, whether they're really big or really small, but being able to say, well, let me run that through my values Mm -hmm. before I decide which direction I'm going to go. And then it changes from a, oh, well, this just feels like a good idea or maybe not so much to a a real process and a real strategy around how to ignite a sense of authenticity every single day, whether that's at work or in your personal life, but being really intentional about saying, how does this how does this conflict or align with my values? And if I move forward, what will the ripple effect of that be? Mm-hmm.
1: And even as you say that, I'm kind of being a bit kind of cheeky, but also very accurate in that you gave yourself permission to be human, right? <laughs> Which Every is the title of your book. And so yeah. Yeah. so w- what was it that kind of, was the trigger for you to literally give yourself that permission?
0: Woo Saida, I would be lying if I said I did this every day. you know, from a like from like, oh, I've just done it. I gave myself permission. It's accomplished, right? I work towards it every day. I can say that with total like authenticity and um transparency that the but the beginning of giving myself permission to be human, really was connected to the, that story I told a moment ago about, about having this work addiction because I did not see any value in who I was other than the measures of success from society. And so therefore, being a human
1: mm. wasn't
0: enough. You know, being a kind person, being a person that's loving, being a person that um, is full of joy and positive energy had no value to me because I didn't it didn't equate to a metric of success that others were projecting onto me and everybody in, in the society. And so when I started to go to therapy and I started to really meet myself where I was and that that's so key that's a big part of giving yourself permission to human it's like you want to be you want to be at the destination you want to not have these issues anymore you just want to get it done as fast as possible versus what does permission to be human mean for me today
1: mm.
0: it might be just a matter of allowing myself to cry or allowing myself to celebrate mm. or being kinder to myself when I feel like I didn't do it in the way that I had anticipated getting it done.
1: Mm. And I love that because I know that in in the work that I'm trying to do in the diversity, equity and inclusion space, um, it very much is about meeting the person where they are rather than where you would like them to be. Because the minute I think we start looking at people and thinking, oh, well, you should be over here, actually that you've you've already started with the wrong conversation and so just by even as individuals kind of locating ourselves and saying this is exactly where I am today and maybe this is where I'd like to be tomorrow or this is the direction that I want to go in it just makes that piece easier you know the navigation of that whole thing and and life is complex and beautiful and just like really Mixed and challenging, and all of those other things, but see if you don't know where you are. How on earth do you know where you're going?
0: Yes, such a such a important point, and I think so much of that comes down to self awareness,
1: Mm.
0: Mm. being self aware, and being okay with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and working towards it. Because one of the other things that I heard is that you know you went through therapy, and I think that that's actually something that we should celebrate because a lot of people have got challenges. I mean, one of the things that I love about um, Russell Brand and just watching his journey in life and then reading his book Recovery is the way that he speaks about addictions. And essentially, it gave me a completely different perspective in that we're all addicted to something. And anyone who says that there isn't needs a different kind of therapy, in my opinion. Because, you know, if you wake up and you're looking at your phone first thing, are you addicted to your phone? Like, it's not for me to comment, but I'll ask the question, you know, if you got to go for that cup of coffee, then is there an addiction there? What happens if the coffee's not? And so these are small little things, but actually people do become addicted to work. And and I can relate to what you're saying, because I think maybe I was in my early 30s, because of the external expectations, you know, you're supposed to be at this point in your career, you should have done this. And then everyone else around you is kind of like hungry for the same stuff. So you think it's normal, where in in fact, actually, it's not really of service.
0: Right. Well, you make a great point with both the work piece and caffeine, right? It's so normalized. It's so normal. It's almost like a joke of, Oh, I can't get out of bed until I have my coffee or like, don't talk to me until I've had my third cup or, um, you know, who's worked the most, who's working the most, who's hustling the most. It's become this really unhealthy, normalized society of addiction that actually doesn't serve us. And what you talked about with the phone, I know it's so fascinating when I tell people that I go on these solo retreats off the grid, because it's You can tell immediately who has a very intense relationship with their phone and their technology because people all, will, will say, that's amazing. Oh my gosh, I hope one day I can do something like that. Or I could never do that. I don't know how that's possible. That sounds like torture. And so it's always so fascinating, not, not a judgment, but, but rather just a curiosity of, hmm, I wonder what might be possible for you if you tried.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way that you frame it. It's no judgment, curiosity, because actually, when you go to that place of curiosity, you learn so much. And um, I recorded a podcast the other day with Peter Katz, and we were just speaking so much about kind of leaning into that curiosity, and how that then fuels a different kind of creativity. Yes and i just think if you're listening to this and you're wondering well you know why is it that that life might feel a little bit triggering sometimes and we all have our own triggers like i'm i'm on the same journey that everybody else is on but it's like how do you view that do you view that as something that's there to stop you or do you become curious about it and think well what can i learn from this
0: yeah it's such a key principle in mindfulness
1: mm. in
0: not being Caught into the whirlwind of what's going on or what's being experienced, but being able to observe it. And what's one of almost always, I'd say nine out of 10 times when I'm working with somebody one on one on helping them to create a life in alignment with their values, there is almost always the first step is just to observe themselves, not to try to change or try to do a new technique or something like that, but rather just observe how you are and notice how those things show up in your body when you're experiencing them. Because that's another part of the, the numbing aspect of our societal norms is that we don't listen to the messages our bodies are sending us.
1: but mm. constantly
0: like, oh, I have a headache every time at three o'clock. Well, what are you doing at three o'clock during the day? Who are you talking to? What kind of work are you doing? What what are you exposing yourself to? What have you eaten during that time? And most people want to jump over all of that self-awareness and go straight to just give me the the playbook, right? I just want to do the steps that you say. Right. Or the prescription, right? Talk about another addiction of just, okay, I'll just numb myself through this instead of taking a deep exhale and saying, it's time for me to start to really do the work that I need to do to have a life of well being, of inner harmony, right? Of purpose, of intention that you're never going to get from trying to move as fast as possible to the end.
1: Mm. And it's funny because I think we, we speak a lot about kind of like, you know, the psychology and the physiology and, and whenever I'm kind of teaching on this, I always say that, you know, there is a moment that everyone has had in their life when they just want to go, Ugh. and that sound, I think, is your soul screaming for attention, telling you something is not in alignment and there's some work to do there. But what do we do? We just kind of get caught up and we just deal with it in a way that is very, very quick rather than really trying to work to get to the nub of the issue.
0: Yeah. We, we like tell it to like, be quiet, right? We drink another cup of coffee. We pop a pill. We watch a bunch of Netflix. We scroll on our Instagram, whatever it might be. That is what we do instead of Listening and being curious. And there's a, a wonderful quote, which is um, Your body speaks to you in whispers. And when you don't listen, it screams.
1: Oh, I love that. That is so good.
0: <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. And what we don't connect is that the body is the keeper of our soul, it's the mm. vessel for our purpose. And so when our body is speaking to us in whispers and we're not listening, the body is saying like, this is not right. This is not okay. Try something different. Listen to me, pay attention. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with that have, um, we started working together because they had a heart attack or they were sent to the ER for some emergency experience that they were literally going to die. Um, If they didn't take care of themselves and they just did not know how to unprogram those behaviors because those behaviors are so ingrained and they're also rewarded in our current societal norms. And so um, it's an experience where people have to say, actually, my body is really intelligent. Mm. Mm. There's a lot of wisdom here that actually nobody else can give me, but my body.
1: Mm, That is so good. That is so good. So you you spoke about um, kind of mindfulness and um, we're now also kind of connecting um, with the body. And I I would just love to know, like, what is it that got you into the work of mindfulness?
0: Mm, It's keep going back to the same thing, this work addiction. I didn't realize this was going to be such a big topic today, but
1: Mm.
0: I... So the, the the moment, the milestone moment for me where I where I started getting help was that one morning my husband rolled over in bed and he said to me, "It's so good to see you." And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, typically by the time I wake up you you're already started working or you've fallen asleep on the couch so you're not here." And my pattern was essentially, Um, waking up at seven, working a full day, doing some kind of an evening networking event or an event that I was hosting myself, having some food, falling asleep on the couch, waking up around three or four in the morning, working for two or three hours, falling asleep again on the couch, and then Mm -hmm. repeat. And, And that was like seven days a week. It wasn't even during, you know, the work week. And I thought I was really successful doing that. You know, I was getting lots of awards. I was getting promotions. I was getting all these results for the organization I was working for. And as soon as something about what my husband said, just like it, it like hurt my heart, even though he was saying it in a loving way, it was just an observation of like, Oh, it's so good to see you. Right. You're not normally here. And I just hadn't correlated it. And so I, um, I reached out to my mother who was a therapist and she led a trauma disorders unit at a large um, hospital system here in Maryland. And I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to stop these thoughts. When I get up at three o'clock in the morning, it's because literally it has seeped into my dreams of all the things that I haven't accomplished yet, all the things I need to do. And the only thing that stops it is working. Like, I don't know how to stop it. Otherwise I can't sleep if I don't, you know, she said, I think you need mindfulness. I think you need mindfulness support. And at that time I'd kind of heard about it. This now is like 10 or plus years ago. And so she recommended a therapist who had a private practice. And the first session that we had, she said to me, I want you to close your eyes and without com- without counting, tell me when one minute has passed. Thirty-two seconds. That's mm-hmm. how far I got. Thirty-two seconds. And so we started with you, like most people who have this pattern of you know not enoughness and scarcity mindset around time and energy. You don't think there's enough time, but you really have no idea how much you can accomplish in one minute. So the more you can adjust your body into the actual rhythm of time, um, you can recognize that you have more than enough time all the t- every day. It's just mm-hmm. the way you spend it. And so the other assignment was when you're driving, drive, and when you're walking, walk. And so that was essentially don't drive and take phone calls or very guilty here you know send emails at red lights um when you're walking to your meetings don't respond to texts and other things like just be there just go there pay attention to your surroundings and though that was my first session and it massively transformed my ability in just this curiosity piece right mm-hmm. of like is this even possible for me and one of the big stories that I've been telling myself is that people won't respect me if I don't get back to them as quickly as I currently do. And that's one of the things people know me for. And then so so slowly she started to say, well, how about we try, if you wait an hour, let's see what happens if you wait two hours. And then eventually it was 24 hours, 48 hours. And I was not willing to do more than three days. Um, But she and so we did this this test to see do people treat you differently? Do they have a different perspective of you? They didn't. They had no, there was no there was no difference. Yeah. Um and so it was so profound in recognizing that mindfulness isn't just about meditating and breathwork and mantras and all the things that are maybe more um, known as concepts of mindfulness, but rather, simply being in the present moment and being curious about what it has for you. Mm.
1: I I love the, the thing that you're sharing as well about like time and the, um, I'm going to describe it as the fluidity of time. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was writing my book results, the arts and science of getting it done, one of the things I was saying is that like, I feel as if I've just put 10 years worth of knowledge out in one month. Cause I wrote the thing in a month and I even read it now. And I'm like, I don't know how I did that. And I could, I don't think it's something I could ever repeat, but that's because it was like, literally it was building up and it was processing and all of that other stuff. And that's how it came out. And then the funny thing is, even with this podcast, like I've been thinking about it for so many years, it took two or three decisions. And then within two hours, I made more progress in two hours than I'd done in so many years. And so the 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 piece about that is time is fluid. There are other areas of my life where like literally, you know, something would take me um, a few minutes, but it's, it's just not happening, you know. And, and I think that for me, it's about leaning into that and just acknowledging how do we receive information? you know. So all of the things that you shared about um, mindfulness, some people will hear and they're just going to think, yeah, 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 heard it all before. And other people are going to pay attention to what you said and they're going to be like, okay, so where do I begin? How do I find out? what can i do is my first mindful exercise so that it circumvents them coming back to this in 10 years time and thinking oh i wish i'd done that
0: right right and i think the practices that i just shared too of putting a timer on and closing your eyes and seeing when you think a minute has passed without cheating just giving mm. yourself a little calibration to understand your relationship with time i think that's a really powerful tool and also just that, that piece of observing, observing yourself as much as you can and recognizing that you have so many more choices than you realize, and you can start to see what they are when you can observe how you respond and how you react. And then thirdly, that whole piece of listening to your body, right? Like it's particularly when it comes to the coupling of observing, that example of, well, if I always get a headache this time of day, what happened leading up to that moment? Mm. And how am I decompressing or releasing whatever that is versus numbing and pushing through?
1: Mm, absolutely. And such great advice there. And um, You mentioned one of my favorite words, which is decompress. So <laughs> I'd love to ask, how do you decompress, Mary Beth?
0: <sighs> Nature. Nature is my go-to. So I live in Baltimore City, which does not have a bunch of nature everywhere, right? We're we're in a row house here in the city. But there's a place called um, Fort McHenry that's just a five-minute drive. And there's a very special tree that my husband and I have built a very meaningful relationship with. And that's because we um, dated. I, I refer to the tree as her. We mm-hmm. dated under her. And he proposed under her and we had a secret wedding under her and we go to her most days. I will go there later today. And this tree has provided so much peaceful, calming energy that you can be in the most chaotic experience and drive five minutes, maybe less, depending if you get all the lights or not. And sit under the presence of this enormous, beautiful maple tree and feel such peace and possibility because you just choose to connect with the wisdom of nature. Mm -hmm. So I have some very specific practices that I do with the tree, especially if I'm holding energy that I want to release. Um, but But generally speaking, I will just, just sitting, just sitting under the tree makes a world of difference. I, I, now when I have meetings with people, depending on who they are, but most people I'm saying, you want to meet at Fort McHenry? Like I'd much Mm -hmm. rather go meet and sit under the tree than um, go to a coffee shop or something like that. You can bring your coffee with you. So I have two folding chairs that I keep in the back of my car pop them out. And that's where we go. And, it, and it's been amazing also to see how other entrepreneurs, business leaders, you know, executives that are not having this as a normal meeting are like, whoa, I feel so much better just being here and just sitting here instead of being in the hustle and bustle. And so that is definitely my number one is, is going to nature and and really, communing with nature in a way that helps to remind me that all is well and that there is more than enough of everything
1: wow and you know like i i just love everything that you've just shared and this piece about trees for me it just makes me really emotional Mm -hmm. because um and, and i'll share all of the links in the show notes but but the one thing that i'll say out loud is that um there's a story um, related to the Prophet Muhammad um, in Islam, which speaks about after he passed away, peace and blessings upon him, after he passed away, um, there was a tree that he would go to and he would stand mm-hmm. next to it and kind of it would be the tree from which, you know, like it, kind of like lean on it and give his sermon. And after he passed away, the tree wept. And when I hear that, and it just kind of gives you a really different relationship with nature. And then there's some other stuff about how actually, like at, globally, the roots of the trees are all linked together underneath the crust of the earth. And so for me, I am a tree hugger and I have no shame in it. Right. And so I have my trees whenever I come to the U S like, I, cause I tend to go back to the same places. I have my trees that I will hug. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like my version of connecting with the earth in that place.
0: Oh, I love that. Sayida, that's so beautiful. And I couldn't, I couldn't relate more.
1: It's It's real. It's a Mm. really
0: beautiful thing.
1: Mm. And I think that sometimes, I mean, this is where I'm going really hippie now, but sometimes you hear and you receive messages that you might not otherwise. And I don't know, don't ask me to unpack how that stuff is happening. I just kind of know that it is.
0: It's true. I think so much of it is from the stillness that it creates inside of us when we truly connect with the energy of the tree right? Because the tree is so strong and solid and quiet and certain and confident and abundant and loving and constantly in a state of growth, but doing it with a pace that is healthy and nourishing and taking care of its community around it. Like you said, with the roots, one of the things I'm really looking forward to seeing more of um, I know we're both um, fans of the heart math Institute. They're starting to do a lot more research on tree intelligence and the connection between trees themselves, but the connection between humans and trees. I don't know if you've ever seen the image of a human's lung and like a tree. And our fingerprints and the inside of a tree, you know, looking at the rings around a tree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's undeniable. It's undeniable the synchronicities that exist. And one of the things I'm really grateful for the work that I get to do and the work that we're on a quest to open a retreat center out in Idaho um, is to connect people more deeply with this because, You can access a tree in most places. There certainly are areas where you can't. I don't want to um, say that all, but the majority of places you can, if not a tree, a flower, something that's a piece of mother nature that can give you this incredible wisdom. Like you said, these messages and things like it's literally from being, in that calming presence and allowing that energy to take over as the collective
1: experience. Mm. Yeah. And something I did not expect to, that we would be speaking about, right? but actually really important in my opinion. Really important. Yeah. So kind of moving the conversation along a wee bit, if I can, um, Like you strike me as somebody, when they have a project, you're really committed to it and you kind of get it done. So what is it about, or how do you determine whether a project is the right thing for you to do? That's one question. And then the second part of it is how do you then move forward and actually make the progress that the project deserves?
0: Yeah. So if it's a project that, I'm partnering with somebody else on like if somebody's hiring me to take this on is that the frame you'd like to
1: I think it's about one of your own projects. One
0: of my own projects. Okay, I'm glad I asked. So one of my own projects. Okay, we can we could like you just said you wrote a book in a month. Oh my gosh, that like blows my mind because this was uh 5 years in my mind and one year in practice of getting it out. But, um, so if I use that as an example, as a project, so the first thing I do when I decide, is this something I'm going to take on is really look at what my capacity is currently, because we were talking about this before we started the official recording. Like we are people who have lots of ideas, right? Lots of possibilities. I can can tell you the names of the next five books I want to write. Me too. (laughs) no surprise. I'm not surprised to hear that you can relate to that. And so a big part of the process is understanding what is my capacity to give this the energy and intention that it deserves. And so, for example, with the book, the reason that I hadn't pushed it to the forefront for so long was because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to Um, do it in a way that the energy that I would be writing it would be one of inner harmony. Mm. It would be from stress. It would be from obligation. It would be from, I should, I know I'm supposed to, this is an expectation versus I'm going to intentionally make this space and set up boundaries so that it can live and thrive in a way that is in alignment with my values so so the first piece for me is really looking at capacity and then giving myself permission to be human in like okay you can't do 25 things at once what's going to be the one to three and then the second is Okay. So if this is something I am going to take on, how can I run it through my values to be thoughtful about how I get the work accomplished? So a vision is a company's why, a mission is a company's what, and the values are your how. Mm -hmm. So how do you actually do the work every day? And so if I've decided that I'm going to move forward from a place of okay, this is my this is the most important use of my energy at this time. These are the boundaries that are going I'm going to create. So now how am I going to go about creating it so that every day it's an energizing experience within reason, right? We all have our off days. But that there is really a lot of intention put towards the way in which it comes to life. Because and I will tell you, uh, I was on a real, I was on a roll getting this book done, and I had to take a three month pause because of some really serious mental health issues in my family. That there was no way I could write from a place that didn't feel like obligation or force, mm-hmm. because I was going through so much in my own process of um, being retriggered by a lot of trauma from the past and all these kinds of things. And so um, I was really proud of myself for actually saying. That's not number 1. Mm. Just because it was when I started doesn't mean it is right now because actually my mental health and inner harmony and well-being and all those things matter so much more and we create these artificial deadlines in our head like oh but I told people it was going to be out in February and what are they going to think of me if it doesn't come out in February. That's what I had thought. Um and then it just came out in July and so it was such a such an interesting experience of recognizing that if I'm going to write a book about this, I better be applying this in my own life. And I better be nurturing that for myself. So, Saida, I don't know if I answered number two, but I think I answered number one.
1: I think you answered them both. And I okay. think um, the, the thing that I heard, which is really, really compelling, actually, is this piece about the capacity and um, one of the the things in in my book, I I created a, f- a framework called the capacity and capability kind of um, method or or something like that. I can't remember exactly. Gosh, isn't that embarrassing? Not uh, embarrassing. embarrassing.
0: <laughs> Permission to be human fully it is okay. I don't remember all the things I've written in my book either. <laughs> yes, We're thank all good you.
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> and what it does is it kind of speaks about how you can be capable for something. And you can, you can have all of the skill set and all of the ability and then know exactly how to get it done. But if you don't have the capacity, then you can't do that. And that's the thing that I that I heard you saying when you took the pause, because there are many I mean, in fact, I even actually share this story in the book about my accountant, my accountant kind of like asked me to look at some spreadsheets. And I did and sent it back very quickly. And he responded by saying, gosh, you should do this. And I was like, just because I'm good at it doesn't mean I want to do it. And there's something really important in there about knowing that you're capable of something, but either you don't have the capacity to do it, or actually it doesn't fire you up as much as something else does. And don't be shy about saying that and i th- i really want to honor your bravery and and your courage in saying you know what i need to pause from this and i need to reset my timelines so that i can do what is right for me and you did exactly what you said in the book you gave yourself permission to be human thank you
0: yeah it was
1: necessary
0: and i and i think that goes back to the listening right listening listening to yourself Not saying, well, I have to because other people's expectations, but rather, what do I need to be well? What do I need to be in a place to really do this from a place of alignment and not from a
1: place of obligation? Mm. And listening is a really interesting thing for me in that, you know, I'm always trying to explore different ways of listening because of the work that I do as a coach. And so there's one piece about listening to the words that come out of somebody's mouth but I think you can also listen energetically, you can listen to the movements that someone's making, you can listen to the way that they even write, you know, so all of the emails that you may be getting the, the WhatsApp messages, all of that, there are underlying messages in there, all you have to do is just kind of look for them and search for them. So I kind of think that the way that we are taught to listen in society is superficial you know and and when you are a good coach or you're a good listener you kind of really try and go deep and look for what are the things that are being communicated to you but in a different way
0: very much so very much so and that's such a huge part of this conversation on emotional intelligence right now it's not just what people say right mm-hmm. it's their body language it's their energy it's their tone it's, it's the way in which they um, have a level of enthusiasm or you are kind of realizing maybe not so much and maybe what happened did it go away um, but the listening piece is so key and I think one of the best ways to become a better listener is starting by being a better listener to yourself
1: 100 percent mm. and and I, I suppose you know, one of the things that we're really speaking about here is communication and communicate with you so that you can communicate better with everybody else. And with that also comes this thing about kind of like difficult conversations. And so I would love your advice on, on how do you have difficult conversations, not with others, but with yourself?
0: Mm. Oh, what a great, what a great question. It's like, oh, I know exactly what to say for others. (laughs) My job is having difficult conversations. Um, But with myself, I actually knock things over. If I pull it down, I have a picture of myself as a little girl up here. I keep a picture of myself as a little girl handy. And whenever I get into a place that I have to have a difficult conversation with myself, I say it to the little girl in the picture because there is a serious difference in my empathy, in my kindness, in my clarity, than if I were to look in the mirror. Mm. And the little girl, just like every single adult has, you have a little person inside of you that still needs to be cared for, that still needs to be heard, that still wants to have temper tantrums and still wants to be snuggled and loved and all those things, even if you're a grown up and don't quote unquote need that anymore. You you actually do. You do. It's just different volumes. And the key though is to not hope somebody else figures that out, but you give it to yourself whenever you need it. And so when I find myself being particularly critical, that is one of the key parts is looking at her and saying, I don't ever want you to talk to yourself like that. You know, you're such a kind and loving and generous person. What do I need to do to take care of you right now? Very powerful tool, and and it's another thing that whenever I'm coaching someone, one of their first assignments is to get a picture of themselves when they were six or younger, if they're able to, um, and to use it as a tool for this specific reason. Which is um, sometimes it's hard when we see ourselves as adults to think we, you know, it's not going to help us if we're not hard on ourselves because that's how we get to the next place. Versus, you can actually motivate yourself through love and not just fear. Mm. Seeing that little person can be a huge, huge breakthrough point of um, the process. And actually, one of the things that I that's really powerful that I often do with coaching clients is I have them pull the picture out and they speak out loud what they want that young person to know. And then I record it, I type it out as they're saying it, and then they print that. And so they have it next to the picture. So they can they. If they're at a loss for words, they have that as a go-to. And this is something anybody, any one of us can do. You mm. can do it today.
1: That's so good. I, I remember recently I found my um, first passport and bear in mind, so my passport was made when I was two weeks old and that was in the early 1970s. And so this is, I mean, I'll I'll put a picture of it in the show notes because it's just so weird <laughs> And and as I was looking through it, there was another picture of me when I was about four or five years old, and I just looked at that kid and I thought, oh, my gosh, right? Like if, if that person could see you now, what would they say to you? And, you know, without being funny, because we always look at whatever it is that we've done and we've achieved and we always are looking for the next thing. And I think that person looking at me probably would just be shocked at, what I've been able to do, even though I still feel I've not done half the things I want to. And I think that's the key thing. It's just looking back at that younger person and thinking, well, you know what? There are bits about me that that person would not admire, but on the whole, I think they would be like, you know what? You done all right. Yeah, you know,
0: totally. Yeah. And I think that that is... So incredibly powerful because a lot of times, especially parents, you want your children to feel that way about you, which is beautiful. Of course, I think most people would would say that. But it's even more powerful when you, when you think about it yourself. Because mm. then you radiate that.
1: Yeah. And I and, and I think it's even more powerful because, you know, I had some challenges growing up, you know, my, my parents split up when I was young, there were, I had some health issues as well. And then there was the other stuff about kind of like, you know, being one of a handful of brown kids and all white school and and just so many different things. And, and I, and I look at that young person, and I think, you know, you had a lot going on. And you were just kind of caught up in some of that stuff. And, and we see the, and we're having a different conversation now about anxiety of young people, which is absolutely fantastic. But the support systems just weren't there then. And so for, to kind of come through all of that stuff and still do relatively okay, I think is a really, really big deal. You know?
0: Yes,
1: yes.
0: And I think even if you aren't feeling relatively okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if you don't feel proud of who you are today, it can still be a very powerful experience of you probably would never want to talk to that little person, the way that you're talking to them now. And what would you, what advice would you want to give them if they were going through a version of this experience, right. That you can then give back to yourself Mm -hmm. because I think, um, both of us are folks who have done a lot of personal work right we've done, gone on a very intentional journey of alignment we're we're creating businesses and lives that are a reflection of our values and certainly not done right that's a forever journey on a journey but yeah and, and but it's the kind of thing that i do know a lot of people that i that i that i work with aren't proud right they don't they don't have that feeling and so Um, it's a, it's really powerful to also be generous and kind in, okay, so What is, what is it, what does that mean? What, what changes would have to take place and what maybe are some of the smaller successes that you can really celebrate and highlight and put energy into, because there's no person on this earth who has not done anything worth celebrating, right? We all have done something worth celebrating. It's just giving ourselves that permission and that credit for what it is. And we get to define what success is versus what does everybody else think it should be? That's where the values are so powerful. It's like, okay, well, am I living this value? That is the ultimate success. That's the ultimate success.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes you can't see your own success or your own achievements. It really takes somebody else to kind of reflect that stuff back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of unpacking this conversation a wee bit further. One of the kind of questions that I love asking my guests is if your 16 year old self could see you now, what advice would they give to you? Ooh. my
0: 16 year old self did, did not have good advice. <laughs> She was really not okay. I had a pretty serious eating disorder when I was 16. I really did disliked who I was, but I was there for everybody else around me. But I think that if she had a moment of clarity, you know, a moment of um pause, which she didn't. My 16 year old self was always, always, always on the go. Um, that she would say you've really done it. You know, you're really doing it. And I didn't know this was possible for us and to keep going because there's so much further um, on this journey. And that um, doesn't matter what it took to get to where you are. It doesn't matter what it's going to take to, to keep going, that you have what you need to move forward.
1: She sounds like a pretty wise person to me. Come on. I would hope if she had a moment of clarity, that would be what she says. But yeah, Yeah. my
0: 16 year old self was in a lot of pain.
1: Mm. And I think for young people who are listening to this, who are in um, pain or challenge or anxiety or um, feeling some form of transition, that's a actually really important message that you've just given to them. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I would love to ask, you know, what's your favorite book? Apart from perfici- Permission to Be Human, of course. <laughs> <your>
0: favorite <laughs> My favorite book, I'd love to know if you've read this. It's by Eckhart Tolle, A New Earth.
1: Oh, I've read some of his other stuff, but I haven't read that one. I mean, the most
0: profound, transformative, life-changing book ever. It's, It's all about our ego and understanding how our ego takes over and removes joy from the present moment. And so it's a guide essentially to understanding how it's created, how it shows up, and how to build a relationship with yourself so that you can acknowledge it and release it as quickly as possible. And what I love about the book is that it's 10 chapters and Oprah did a chapter by chapter interview with him. So there's a, there's a podcast series that you can listen after each chapter. Personally, it's, I would read one chapter a day or maybe even a week, depending. I've read it. I, I try to read it every six months. And so I don't ever try to read more than one chapter at a time because it's so much but what's amazing is that you can then pop on the podcast and hear a discussion about that chapter too. So it's definitely going to be in my forever life rotation.
1: I'm going to be buying that as soon as we finish. Excellent. And what are you reading, listening, watching at the moment?
0: Oh my goodness. I just I just finished um reading um The Master Plan by Chris Wilson. Mm -hmm. He is actually somebody who's here in Baltimore and, um, his book was about his journey in being incarcerated for life. He was sentenced to life in prison as a minor and how over the course of his time in prison, how he transformed his life and how he impacted all of these people's lives within the system and how he's now, he's one of a very, very small percentage of people who is no longer in jail, who had a life sentence. Mm -hmm. And um, he did it all through creating this master plan, which was essentially like being very specific about what he was gonna do, what he wasn't gonna do, and how he was gonna get there. And you know, this, this idea of like always having, like always having more inspiration and more ideas after reading that book, it impacted me so much that, um, I know that I want to create a nonprofit arm of my business eventually, and be able to do the work that I do now in communities that probably wouldn't have access to it otherwise. And, um, I also am, a, I, I've become a, um, a member of my local Girl Scouts chapter that has a, a chapter that's goes into the prisons with moms who are incarcerated with the girls and our chapter here in Baltimore, I'm going to be developing a mindfulness and meditation program Mm. for the girls and their moms. And so that book, I only read it a month ago and it just has massively inspired me to make the most of this precious life in a way that perhaps I wasn't considering from a place of privilege.
1: Oh, I love that! So, a second book that you've given to me that I'm going to (laughs) buy almost immediately. Like you've done such a good setting job setting it because I think one, I love the concept of kind of like strategic planning and having an idea of the direction that you want to go in and then making that happen so you know Chris Wilson I think you said yes yeah he sounds like an amazing amazing person yes
0: he's an amazing human being I had the the honor of being on a panel with him here in Baltimore and and that's actually how I got his book his book was like given out at this event and I had had it for a couple years and I finally read it and I was like oh my gosh this is exactly when I was meant to read it it's so inspiring it's it's one of these like okay, there are a lot of different ways to live this life. And there are a lot of ways that people get into the circumstances that they are in. And, um, there is so much shared humanity in that experience. Even if you can't relate to the specific Mm. events, you can feel inside of yourself, what's possible for you. If this amazing, extraordinary human being was able to do that in their own lives
1: absolutely absolutely and then lastly what advice do you have for me
0: well this is going to be um probably not a huge surprise but my advice to you and my advice to whoever's listening right now would be to give yourself permission to be human and so every time that you go to a place where you're being unkind, overly critical, felt filled with filled up with expectations of others. Remind yourself that you get to be the one to give yourself that permission.
1: Mm. I love that. I just think it's. Uh... It's what we all need. I was, you know, I, I was thinking about permission slips and I was thinking, do you know what? Like there's, there's so much goodness in the work that Brené Brown has done. And I've created so many permission slips. I'm going to create one and on on it, all I'm going to do is write. I give myself permission to be human.
0: Mm, I love that.
1: You know, Saida,
0: I'm, you're going to get one of these in the mail. Um, But I have this, this is part of the book. I have a permission to be human pledge. May I read it to you? Please. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to like, you know, like you would be in a position of receiving a pledge, right? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right. I promise to honor what makes me perfectly imperfect. I promise to meet myself where I am, not where I want to be. I promise to suspend judgment and ignite compassion. I promise to set healthy boundaries to protect my energy. I promise to prioritize my well-being by embodying my values, and in doing so, I promise to give myself and others permission to be human.
1: I love it. I really do. And and I promise all of those things. I just think that's that's brilliant. Like. Yeah, I want to find a way of giving that to so many different people. So I have a question for you, because a lot of people will have listened to all of the wisdom that you've shared and thinking, how do I get in touch with Mary Beth? What's the best way?
0: Yeah. So if you want to get in touch in a social way, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you there. Um, If you're interested in my work or collaborating in some way, you could check out my website, which is sparkvisionnow.com.
1: Wonderful. And I encourage everyone just to kind of like go and find Mary Beth and um, buy her book, Permission to Be Human, and certainly uh, find her on social media as well. It's just been a real gift. Uh, Speaking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And I wish you all of the best with all of the wonderful work that you do.
0: Likewise. Gift is the perfect word. That's exactly what this has been. Thank you.
1: If you enjoyed this episode of With Sayada, I'd appreciate it if you could rate, review, and subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast and the work of the Centre for Belonging and Understanding.